assignments for the week. You had two weeks to do this lesson, so hopefully you did that. How many of you were able to work on memorizing First uh, John? I think it was chapter 5, is that correct? First John chapter 5, and I think verse 4, wouldn't it? If I remember correctly. 7, is that what it was? Yes, First John 5, 7. How many of you were able to memorize that or worked on it? Okay, several of you, good. All right. Uh, let's take a few minutes real quick to run over the um, page 47, page number 47. Um, believing that God created the world is a matter of what? What is it? Matter of faith, all right? Uh, what are the two times in world history when the entire world knew the revealed truth of who God is that the Bible talks about? The two times, there were two times. Miss Linda? Okay. Okay. During the time of Noah and uh, during the time of Adam and Eve. Okay, very good. What does the word Trinity mean? Okay. What are the three persons uh, that make up the Godhead? What we call the Godhead. The Bible refers to it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. Which one is the more powerful of the three? Uh, pardon me? They're equal. You mean they're all co-equal? How about that? Isn't that good? Some of you are learning some things. Good. Very good. All right. Give us some examples of God's many attributes. What are some of the ones that... Remember we said there are some that uh, are non-communicable and then some that are communicable. So one, some that can be passed on to us and some that are reserved for God himself. All right. Don't everybody speak at once. Holy. He's holy, okay? He's holy. We strive to be holy, and we uh, want to try to attempt that, but we know that until we get to heaven, we won't have that time of being holy. Yes, ma'am? He's all-knowing. Do you know the word for that? Uh, Omniscient is the all-knowing, and all-powerful is the omnipotent. All right, what else is he? Omni-what? There's one other one. What is it? Present, okay, meaning he is everywhere all the time. All right, what else? Any other ones? Pardon me? Immutable. All right, that's a big word, isn't it? So immutable. What does immutable mean? What does it mean? He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. All right? Any other ones you want to give? Pardon me? He's sovereign. Okay, very good. Very good. What else? Infinite. He is infinite. He is eternal. From eternity past to eternity present and to eternity future. All right. What else? Is that it? Those are, he is immortal, okay? So he's eternal. Very good. Okay, very good. All right. Then um, what are some of those that you would like to develop in your life that are attributes of God? These would need to be some of the communicable attributes that we talked about last week. What are some of the ones you'd like to see in your life? There may be some that weren't even discussed in the lesson that you can think of. Okay. Okay, more Christ-like. All right. Let's back up a few pages here because there are some here that were given, I think, if I remember correctly. 
uh, fruit of the Spirit, okay, would be a good one. Uh, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Okay, so you can think of others besides those. Uh, yes, ma'am. Forgiving, okay. Faithful would be one of his attributes. Uh, we can all be more faithful. Yes, sir. Patient, okay. Long-suffering. I see a lot of people shaking their heads. No, I don't want that one. <laughs> you got to be careful praying for patience. It, uh, God may, isn't it amazing? He doesn't just give it to you as a gift. He puts you through it and lets you learn it. Uh, so, all right. Everything God allows in our lives, he uses for the purpose of molding us to what? The image of his son. We are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. And so, I like the uh, phrase that Paul used when he said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press toward the mark. And the mark there being the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to achieve in our lifetime. Now, let me ask you this. Are we ever going to become exactly like Christ in this life? Aren't you glad we will be when we get to the next life? Amen. We'll be able to know things and have the attributes that we long for. All right, why has God revealed himself to us? Why has God revealed himself to us? Okay, he desires, one of the greatest truths of mankind, he desires to have a relationship with you. Not uh, I, 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 If you put us, that's fine. But that's, that's all inclusive. It's a little more personal when you say he wants to have a relationship with me. That, that makes it a little more personal, doesn't it? And a little more amazing. You kind of expect God to want to have a relationship with everybody. But when he wants to have a relationship with you, that's a, that's a little more distinct there. All right? How is growth in the Christian life measured? How is growth in the Christian life measured? We used a little different word for this when we were teaching on philosophy of ministry and serving for ministry. But same, it's the same mindset and concept. How do we measure Christian, uh, how's the Christian life measured? Okay, as we become more like Him, the, the term we used uh, this fall when we were teaching about serving in ministry was the maturity, spiritual maturity. Uh, as we grow in our relationship and in our walk with Him. Remember we took some time last week to deal with Second Peter chapter number 1, how that we add to our faith. And there are certain things we add to our faith, not for the purpose of salvation, but for the purpose of our Christian life being matured, uh, being perfected, and growing in what the Bible refers to, growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's how we measure it, is by our Christian growth. And uh, it does us well from time to time to stop the hectic pace of life and find a quiet place and spend a little bit of time with the Lord for no other reason than to say, Lord, show me where I'm at in my Christian walk with you. Are there some things that I need to improve on? Um, I like the psalmist when he said, Search me, O God, and try me. And quite often he would use phrases like this. And we ought to, from time to time, and it ought to be on a fairly regular basis, sit down and ask for God to show us things. It's not, it's not a bad thing when we come to God's Word and we spend time reading it and studying it during the week that we say, Lord, show me some things that I need to change in my life. And it's part of that Christian growth and Christian walk. All right. Very good. Well, let's move on to uh, lesson number three very quickly. 
<coughs> about half. Uh, we're going to uh, just by way of preface before we get into this. Uh, last uh, lesson number two, the last lesson we did was on having a relationship with God, and we dealt with the Godhead and the Trinity and the attributes of God and getting to know God, and we learned about the three persons of the Godhead. And uh, this lesson, uh, lesson number three, we're going to spend specifically on Jesus himself. Now, this is a critical, critical lesson, in my opinion, probably one of the more important lessons that we're going to be dealing with in this book, because there are distinct uh, cults out there, if you will, uh, folks that claim to um, be religious folks of other religions that claim that Jesus was a son of God. And that he's no more than when the Bible says that you and I can become sons of God. He was no different than you or I. He was a good man, perhaps. He was a prophet. And rather than referring to him as deity, they're referring to him as one of the ones that can become um, uh, related to God and become a God in himself. And so you've got to be careful. And let me just say this. Some of them will come knocking on your door. And they're going to pull out... King James Bibles in some cases. And they're going to start giving you verses from King James Bibles. And then they're going to start asking you questions. And the questions they ask are going to be worded in such a way that it's going to get your wheels turning. And then they're going to pull out other literature. And they're going to say, now here's what it actually says. And they're going to start talking about another book that's been written. And they're going to try to convince you that Jesus was not the Son of God, deity himself. And we need to be well grounded in this. Amen. So we need to know this. Jesus was not a son of God. He was the son of God. And we need to look at that. So that's by way of introduction. If you don't put your heart and study efforts into any other lesson of this book, can I plead with you to put your heart and your study efforts into this lesson? Very, very critical. All right, let's look through this very quickly. By way of the book's introductions here. About halfway through Jesus' ministry, he asked um, his disciples an important question. We find it in Matthew chapter number 16. It's given in our book here, and verses 13 and 14. The Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And by the way, the people that are out doing this today are doing the same thing that these disciples said some people were doing in Christ's day. Nothing new here, okay? It's been going on for 2,000 years. After the disciples answered Jesus' question, Jesus asked an even more vital question, a question that you and I must answer today, and, and it is an answer that he puts to us. doesn't matter what everybody else is saying about him. He asks in verse number 15, He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Are you convinced? doesn't matter if, if so-and-so down the road or your next-door neighbor or the person you work with is not convinced of this. What matters is, are you convinced of it? Do you know this? Uh, as in the first century, people today have many views of who Jesus is. Some say he was a good man, a great teacher. Others say he was an imposter who, imposter who claimed to be God, but was not God. And others suggest that he was a prophet. The important thing is that you and I know who Jesus is. Peter gave the right answer to Jesus' question in verses 16 and 17. And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. You ought to underline that in your Bibles. 
Thou art the Christ. The word Christ here is the New Testament word for the Messiah. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And by the way, when we trust and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, it is a matter of faith. Amen? All right. So, why does this matter? Knowing who Jesus is guards us against false teachers. Uh, There are entire religions that teach that Jesus is not really God in the flesh. But the Bible tells us plainly that these religions are not of God. Somebody look up 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 3 for us tonight. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 3. Miss Jennifer? All right, so if anybody comes to you and says that Jesus is not the Christ, the Bible calls him an antichrist, and uh, that that is not of God. If it's not of God, then who's it of? It's of the devil, isn't it? Absolutely. All right, knowing who Jesus is helps us to share the gospel with others. It helps us to share the gospel with others. And that sounds like a very uh, uh, profound statement there, a very simple statement, but the truth of the matter is, Without Christ being the Son of God, there is no gospel. He's just another man who is in the same sinful boat that you and I are in. He must be the Son of God or there is no gospel. Our salvation depends on this fact. That Jesus as God came to pay for our sins. When we understand the Bible teaches about the deity of Christ, we can uh, help answer the question other people have. Uh, somebody read Romans 5, 8 or quote it for us. Miss Jen- Miss, uh, Sandy, my brain just went dead, sorry. Okay, alright, so we want to make sure that we can give the gospel of who the Lord Jesus Christ is and why he came to earth. Knowing who Jesus is allows us also to know and follow him. It's not enough to just know him. Uh, I've known a lot of Christians who've been in church a long time that know an awful lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of them even claim that they have a close personal walk with Him. And whether they do or not is between them and God. I can't know their heart. But I will say this. uh, If it is based on the fact of whether they follow Him or not, then their relationship with with Christ is non-existent in some cases. Because they're not following Him. They make a lot of claims of knowing who Christ is and loving Christ. And we put, a, we put a lot of word service many times. Let's make sure that we don't just put lip service to our belief in who Jesus is, but that we also follow Him. Alright? During Jesus' ministry, He healed the sick and lame. He even raised a few from the dead. As you can imagine, many people followed Him. But at one point, when Jesus clearly claimed to be God, many people forsook Him. Back then, it was illegal to claim to be the Son of God. However, it was only illegal to claim to be the Son of God if you were not the Son of God. Jesus was, so He was okay to do it. All right? John chapter number 6, verses 67 through 69. Somebody read those for us. And by the way, when you see these little verses with the black arrows beside Him coming up, go ahead and start turning to them if you'd like to. We'll save a little time. Yes, sir.
Okay? So Jesus turns to the disciples, asks them another question, will you also go away? And again, Peter had the right answer. Uh, he knew that Jesus is God and he was worthy to be followed. Who else would they follow if not Christ? In this lesson, we're going to learn about who Jesus is, how we know it, and what that means for us. Those three things. And I think all of them are important. All right? Getting into it. Jesus is God. Period. End of story. We could shut the book and stop there. But for us to know from Scripture uh, why we're going to look at these things. So let's look at it very quickly. The fact that Jesus is indeed God is revealed not just in one or two places, but literally it's found all throughout Scripture. We're going to take a look at several of the passages here. I just want to say by way of um, prefacing getting into this portion of it, there are footnotes, and if you'll take time to read the footnotes, as they get to certain points without taking up more space in the book, they give you a lot more references. So all the references we're going to read tonight, uh, there are many, many, many more in the Bible that deal with this. So don't just leave here thinking, well, there was only eight or ten or a dozen. By the way, let me just say this. If we have less than one down that we believe the Bible to be the Word of God, all it would take would be one verse, right? Amen? He only has to tell us one time, but he tells us many, many times. His deity, first of all, is shown through his name. It's shown through his name. He is called God. The Lord Jesus Christ was called God on numerous occasions in Scripture. Let's look at Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse number 6. The book's got it written out for us. For unto us a child is born. Who's this speaking of? Speaking of Christ, okay? Jesus Christ. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty what? The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. All right? John chapter 20, verse number 28. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my what? My God. So we find that Jesus is referred to here, at least in two different places of Scripture, and many more, that not only was He the Son of God, but He is God Himself. And so we part of the Godhead. He claims to be the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Um, and you can read the footnote a little bit about that. Let's look at John chapter number 8 and verse number 58, and we're going to compare it to Exodus chapter 3 and verse number 14. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was... What does he say? I am. It's interesting. He uses Abraham in the past tense, but he uses his existence in the present tense. I am. Capital I, I am. All right. Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 14. And God said unto Moses, what? I am that I am. And he said, thus thou shalt say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So we know that God referred to himself in the Old Testament as I am, and Jesus Christ also claimed to be I am. All right? Compared to John chapter number 17 and Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 8. Oh, now, uh, and now, O oh Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with before the world was. Okay? So speaking here of Christ being in existence before the world was. Isaiah chapter 42 and verse number 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So the only person that has glory here in, verse, uh, in Isaiah and in John is God, and in John it's Christ. 
If God doesn't share His glory with anyone else, yet Christ has this glory, then can we not say that Christ is God? Jesus is God, all right? He is called the Son of God. John chapter 3, verse number 16. We all know that one. Somebody quote that one for us. You don't even have to look at the Bible for this one, probably. Okay, so he's called the Son of God. Sometimes, and by the way, um, let me just go back here and look at this again real quickly. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His what? Only begotten Son. Okay, His only begotten Son. Not many sons. His only begotten Son, alright? Sometimes this title is misunderstood and suggesting inferiority. However, we should always trust that the Bible in its own cultural context Instead of our culture, the Jews very clearly understood this title as being equal to God and not inferior to God. John chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Philippians chapter number 2. The Bible says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above... Um, I need to back up a little bit. Somebody help me out. Uh, I may have to look it up. Philippians chapter 2. Oh, I can't believe my brain just went dead. Somebody know it already? Quote it for me. Philippians chapter... Uh, start with verse 1. Okay, verse 5 is where I wanted to go. Let this mind, there we go. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, all right? Remember the phrase here now in Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5 and 6 and following. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So he was found in fashion as a man. He thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And uh, let me just say this. If a man tries to say he's equal with God, then he is robbing God of his glory. But Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. You know why? <laughs> because he was God. All right? So we understand it. The Bible, again, is giving verse after verse after verse about this. All right, so we know we're learning all these things. Uh, let's move on down. His deity is also shown not just through his name, but it's also shown through his works. All right, it's shown through his works. Jesus performed works that only God can do. First of all, he created. The Bible talks about Jesus creating. Look at John chapter number one. And uh, the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Those were the first two verses. It's dealing there with Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, we get to verse number 3. It says, all things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus Christ. So again, He's doing works 
that only God can do. He created. Hebrews chapter number 1 and verse number 3. Who being in the brightness of His glory and express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sins. So who's it speaking of here? God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Ghost? All three, but God the Son in particular because by Himself purged our sins and sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. So again, we're speaking here of Jesus. He forgives sins. Mark chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. This was the passage I was looking for the other day, and I couldn't get the right reference for. Where it shows that God was more concerned about the man's spiritual condition than he was about his physical condition. It's interesting to me that as you read the Bible, the implication that's given here was that he did not act on the man's physical condition until he perceived the lack of faith of those that were looking. And then he said, whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, or rise, take up thy bed, and walk, then saith he to the man who was sick of the palsy. What was the great miracle of this passage? We would look at it and say that, that he was healed from his palsy, but that's not the great miracle here. He was what? His sins were forgiven. That's the great miracle, and we miss it when we read this passage. Why is that important? Because Jesus did a miracle that only God can do. Amen. He gives eternal life. John, I'm getting excited. I don't know about y'all. John chapter 17, verse number 2. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. So Jesus gives eternal life. Can a man do that? No, only God can do that. His deity is shown through worship. The Bible tells us plainly that we are to worship God only. Is that not what the Bible says? All the way back, you can go as far back even as the Ten Commandments if you want to. And even before that, I'm sure that that was understood by Adam and those following. We're not to have any other God before us. We're to worship Him only. And yet in Luke chapter number 4 and verse number 8, what does it say? Miss Jennifer? Throughout the Gospels, we see that many people began to worship Jesus. And this is the amazing thing. He never stopped any of them. He let them worship Him. Later in the New Testament, we even see that God the Father commands the angels to worship Jesus. So we find here, Matthew chapter 2, verse number 2, that the wise men come to worship Him. We know that from the Christmas story, saying, Where is he that is born King of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship him. There's a ship, uh, uh, those in the ship worship him in Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 33. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the, not a, the Son, capital S, of capital G O D, the Son of 
of God. Does it matter what version of the Bible we have? Amen. The Revised Standard Version in the book of Daniel, when it deals with the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar looks into the fiery furnace and sees the fourth man in the King James, it says, and the fourth was like unto the, capital S, son of, capital G-O-D, God. The Revised Standard Version, they changed it. It says the fourth was like unto a son, lowercase s, of the lowercase g-o-d-s plural. A son of the gods. Does it matter? Oh, but the other Bibles are easier to read. (laughs) Can I tell you this? Every one of my kids were saved as kids from the King James Bible. They understood it plenty enough. Amen. All right. Are you saying, are you getting on a soapbox tonight maybe for a minute? It does matter, folks. It really does matter. I know a lot of churches will say, well, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It makes a difference. It, it causes the foundations of our doctrine and our distinctives to be eroded. And we are on shaky enough ground the way it is, the way the world is, without having to add to the problem. So, amen. All right. A healed blind man worshipped him. John chapter 9, verse number 38. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The Father commands the angels to worship him. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 6. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, that's speaking here of Jesus. He was the first begotten into the world. He saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. All right, his deity is thrown, shown, <laughs> thrown. <laughs> his deity is shown through his attributes. All right, we talked about this last week when we talked about the Godhead. But another proof that Jesus is God is the fact that he has God's incommunicable attributes. If he has them and they're not able to be communicable to anybody else, then it must be that Christ is God. We find here that he is omnipotent, Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them all, saying, unto them saying, All power is given unto me in where? Heaven and earth. Heaven and earth. He's all places at all times. He's omniscient, John chapter 16, verse number 30. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee? By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. They said, this is how we know. That you are of God because you know all things. Jesus even predicted his own death when he would die. How he would die and that he would rise again. In Matthew chapter 16 verse number 21. From that time forth, Jesus began, uh, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and priests, chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. He already knew it. He lives in eternity. He doesn't live in time. He was omnipresent. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Uh, I think I did omnipresent for the wrong one. <laughs> Omnipotent, first one. Omnipresent, this one. Matthew 28, 20. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So it doesn't matter where you go. He's there. He's with you. The devil cannot do that. We said that last week. We give the devil too much credit. He is not omnipresent. 
I've heard so many people say, well, the devil, he sure been after me today. Probably the devil wasn't anywhere near you today. <laughs> but the old flesh nature and certainly those that serve the devil, I'm sure, uh, affect uh, Christians' lives. But the devil is not omnipresent. He really is not omnipresent. All right? But Christ is. Eternality. John chapter 1, verse number 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So he's eternal. He's immutable. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay? He's holy. Hebrews chapter 7, verse number 26. We just dealt with this Sunday night in the book of Hebrews. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. So he has all of the attributes of God. Somebody comes to your door, knocks on your door, and tries to convince you that Jesus is not God. Can you give an answer to them? The importance of knowing this lesson. Go back and work at memorizing some answers of Scripture that you can give. So that when somebody comes to your door, you don't fumble around saying, wait a minute, let me go get my discipleship book and tell you how. If that's all you can do, then do that. But let's work, let's study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed. And we can rightly divide the Word of God. And so we want to make sure that we learn this stuff. We memorize the Scripture. If nothing else, at least know the references to turn to. And take their King James Bible and show them in there. Alright? Uh, that is if they haven't changed it. So, uh, let's, As mentioned earlier, there are some people who say Jesus was merely a good teacher or a great prophet, but that he was not God. We see, however, that the Bible explicitly states that he is God. Also, because Jesus himself claimed to be God, he could not be just a good teacher. If he's not God, he was either a liar or claiming to be that he was not, or a lunatic, confused about who he really was. Neither of these describe Jesus of the Bible. He was neither a liar nor a lunatic. He is Lord. He is Lord. The Bible tells us that not only is Jesus God, but uh, that he humbled himself to come to this earth, take on human flesh, and die on a cross for our sins, and rise from the dead as our risen Savior. So Jesus is the Savior of the world. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Somebody look that one up for us. Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. We just read it, but quoted it, I mean, but go ahead. Okay. Uh, Jesus, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, he came to us, is the next blank. The baby born in a Bethlehem manger was God who clothed himself in human flesh. John chapter 1, verse number 1, we've already said, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Somebody want to read verse 14 for us out of John chapter 1. And the Word 
All right. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. All right. So we know that Jesus is the one who was uh, born of a virgin's womb. We find that in Luke chapter number 1, verses 26 through 36. Someone want to read that one for us? By the way, let me ask you a question. Why was it important that he be born of a virgin? Anybody know? Why was that an important fact? Some of you may know. You're just shy to hang, raise your hand. Why was it important that Jesus be born of a virgin? Miss June, I saw your hand first. Go ahead. Okay, the sin was passed down from Adam. Uh, and uh, the bloodlines uh, were always passed by the Father. And it's important that you and I understand this, that when we were born, we were born with a sinful nature. We are already born sinners. We don't sin. All right, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. Uh, you don't have to teach an infant baby to be selfish or to cry and be spoiled. They, they just know how to do that, don't they? And they tend to decline and gravitate that way unless they're corrected by parents. Um, we've all seen kids that when they were infants would be selfish and throw temper tantrums and when they couldn't get certain things and mom and dad had to scold them. If, they, if you ever met a kid whose parents did not scold them for that, you find that the kid later on becomes a pretty rotten kid in life, doesn't he? Who always expects everything to be given to him. Why? Because it's... His sinful nature continued, even in the early days of his life, before he was really even able to have a lot of conscious thought, instinctively he started gravitating toward the human nature, or the flesh nature, or the sin nature. And so we are sinners, we're born into sin. Christ, it was important that he not have a human bloodline, so that he was not born a sinner, he was born perfect. Amen. And then he lived without sin and then died on the cross for our sin in our place. It was the only way that it could be satisfied. All right. Uh, who has Luke chapter number 1, verse 26 through 36? Brother Larry? Also, 
All right, so we find that a uh, virgin had to conceive and bear a son. Now, uh, soapbox warning again, okay, here we go. Why does it matter what version of the Bible we use? Because a lot of the Bibles don't use the word virgin here. They use the word young maiden. It changes our doctrine. If he was born of a human father, then he is not the son of God. And there is no gospel. We must understand he was born of a virgin. Miraculously. Uh, overshadowed by the highest. And that holy thing that shall be born of her shall be called the Son of God, the Bible says. Alright, so the virgin birth was prophesied hundreds of years earlier through the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter number 7, verse number 14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The name Emmanuel, uh, which is spelled with an E in the New Testament, uh, literally means God with us. Notice the fulfillment of the Isaiah 7:14 prophecy in Matthew chapter number 1, verse number 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. And so we know that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Isaiah prophecy. Even the place of Jesus' birth had been prophesied 450 years before he was born. Only God could predict the location for where he would choose to be born and then fulfill the prediction. Micah chapter number 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto thee, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Uh, we talked about that at Christmas time, of the Tower of the Flock and the Valley of Ephrath, uh, and, and there at the city of Bethlehem. And uh, the importance of that. Jesus, uh, because Jesus came and lived in our world, He knows our feelings, needs, and temptations, not only by His omniscient knowledge, but also by experience. Jesus has been in all points tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. There's not a temptation you and I go through that Jesus has not been intimately uh, familiar with. He knows it, all right? Hebrews chapter number 4, verses 15 through 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So we have that great advocate. The Bible teaches that Christ is in heaven today, not as only as our high priest, but also as our advocate and He is there ever making intercession for us. And He is intimately familiar with all of our infirmities. Uh, even though Jesus experienced the same temptations we face, He never sinned. Why? Because He is God. Alright, He died for us. Jesus died for us. We saw in our previous lesson that God created a perfect world without sin. It wasn't until sin entered the world and death and suffering followed. Romans 5.12 Somebody want to read that one for us? Wherefore is by... There you go. Okay. So wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world 
and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And so it's a, something that is hereditary. It is passed down. We are born sinners. Romans chapter number 6, verse number 23. Wages of sin is death. Go ahead. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Bible tells us that the payment of sin is eternal death. Yet God, because He loved us, proved this love by coming and paying a penalty for our sin. We find that in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, which we already read. But God commendeth His love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. One of the reasons the truth of Jesus' deity is so important is because if Jesus were not God, He could not have paid for the sins of the world. If He would have been paying for His own sin, but not as God, or but as God, His blood is powerful enough to cover the sins of the entire world. First John chapter 2 and verse number 2. The book says here, and He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the, what is it? You all tired? <laughs> the sins of the whole world. There we go. All right. So he saves us. He died for us. Now he saves us. Jesus died for the sins of every person. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Three words that describe this call, turn, and trust. Uh, you call out to the Lord for His gift, you turn from self-effort, and you trust the payment that Jesus already made. In the language of the Bible, this is repentance toward God, and that's the phrase that's used, meaning we're turning from self or from anything else that we were trusting in to earn our salvation. And turning toward Christ, the faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ, trusting what He has done on our behalf. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 21. God gives a direct promise that He will save anyone who thus calls out to Him for salvation. I just want to take just a second, because there is a lot of confusion today about the topic of repentance in, as it uh, relates to salvation, the salvation experience. And I just want to say this. The Bible says that, um, that the world is at enmity with God. That's the word that is used, enmity. And it means literally diametrically opposed. It's, it's completely on the other. Whatever God says, even if the world thought it was a good idea, they're going to oppose it because God said it. Kind of like what a lot of people are doing to our president now. But anyway, uh, and so this, the world out here is, is no matter what Christ says, they're going to be at odds with it. Now, we were, before we were saved, of our father the devil, and we followed after him, did we not? We were living in the world. We were of the world. We were living as part of this mindset over here. When the gospel came and shed its light abroad in our hearts, and we were shown our sinful condition. And by the way, I will say this. A man cannot be saved until he realizes he's a sinner. He must understand that. If he doesn't understand he's a sinner, what is there to be saved from? He must understand this. And so when the gospel came and it showed us, uh, it was our schoolmaster, the law was our schoolmaster, it showed us our sinful condition, and the gospel came and said, hey, Greg, you're a sinner. And by the way, you're not in a boat by yourself. Everybody is. The whole world is. But hey, there's good news. There's a payment for that sin that Christ paid for because He loved you even when you're a sinner. Now, I'm in this world and I'm following after the world saying, and when all of a sudden I realize that Christ paid the penalty for my sin... And I really want that gift of eternal life. I want to say, I'm going to take, and I'm not going to trust the things that I was trusting over here now. I'm taking what I was trusting and my faith from this side, 
And I am turning it and I'm placing it now on Jesus Christ. That is repentance. Turning from one to the other. You cannot come to Christ without leaving the world. Now follow me on this. It does not mean you have to work your way to heaven. It does not mean you're going to be perfect after that. You're still going to sin. But there's a difference in our mindset. We're no longer trusting the things of the world and saying, well, I'll just be good enough. How many times have you or I talked to somebody about the Lord and asked them if they were going to heaven and they said, well, I hope so. And then you follow up with a question like, well, what do you, what do you think will get you to heaven? And they start listing off, well, I try to do good. I really try to do good. I try to be kind to people. And they're, turning, they're trusting that. That's where their faith is. They, they have faith. It's just in the wrong thing. And so in order to be saved, the Bible is true. You have to repent. Repentance is literally a changing of direction or a changing of mind from one to the other. I'm no longer trusting this. I'm trusting that. I like to put it this way. Faith and repentance are the head and the tail of one coin. You put your faith towards Christ, you do it as you repent. And when you repent, you're putting your faith towards the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the difference there? Some people will teach that repentance means you've got to forsake the world and all of the things in the world before you can be saved. Can I tell you, it's a mindset of turning from trusting the world to trusting Christ. That's the salvation. If a man is convicted of his sin, I firmly believe this because I believe that the issue of salvation is not an outward thing. I believe it's an inward thing. I believe that if a man sat in a church service and believed that he was under the conviction to be saved and the altar time came for them to come and be saved and they stepped out, they've made the decision, I'm coming forward to be saved. I'm going to trust God at this point. The moment they move, the act of faith has happened. If they drop of a heart attack before they say the sinner's prayer, guess what? They're saved. They have trusted Christ. They've turned from what they were trusting in and they said, I am going to follow Christ. I want my faith in Him and Him alone. Plus nothing, minus nothing. We don't work our way to heaven. But we do turn from what we were trusting before. We're no longer trusting that. We're trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to give a word of the instruction on repentance because uh, a lot of people get that confused. And they tend to lean towards works salvation when they talk about it. And that is definitely nothing that the Bible teaches. And so I want to make sure we're clear on that. All right, Romans chapter number 10, verse number uh, 13. But as many as received... uh, uh, Somebody read that one. That's John 1, 12 I'm reading. Romans chapter 10, verse number 13. But whosoever shall... There we go. Call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right? So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. John chapter 1, verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I love the story that Pastor used to tell of uh, Andrew Jackson and the fellow that he wrote a part, a presidential pardon to that was sentenced to die. And in the prison, uh, he uh, uh, refused the pardon. They didn't know what to do with it, sent it back to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled that a pardon, no matter whose signature is on it, until it is received, it is just a piece of paper. 
And we have a pardon that's been written to us. And every man in this world has a pardon that's been written to them. But until they receive it, until they're trusting in that, until they've put their faith in that, until they've turned to that as their hope of eternal, eternal life, it's just a piece of paper. And they will die and go to a devil's hell, maybe knowledgeable of it. And that's where I think some people have gone. But they're not trusting in it. They've not put their faith in it. But as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. First John chapter 4, verse 14. And as we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If you guys will give me about four more minutes, we'll finish these last few pages up and be done. In the first lesson, you shared with your disciple uh, when and where you were saved. Uh, we had a few people give testimony when they were saved. But if you, if you have seen through these verses that you have any doubt about your salvation, then you need to get that matter settled. If after studying all of this, you sit there and say, that's not what I did to be saved, you may need to get that matter settled. You say, Brother Greg, I'm, I'm a church member. I've been a church member all my life. It's not going to save you. I don't care if you're 90 years old. It's not going to save you if you don't come the way Christ said to come. It must be done. And so, and don't be embarrassed about it. Trust me. I'll tell you this. We're among family here. The only thing that would happen if somebody trusted Christ as their Savior after sitting in the pews of this church is we'd all be happy about it. Amen? Nothing to be embarrassed about. I sat in the church for 13 years worried about what people were going to think of me. And then when I finally got saved, I was, I was ecstatic <laughs> at seeing how many people were excited for me. And uh, I thought, boy, that's a lie the devil throws in our minds to keep us from going forward, isn't it? Keep us from making that decision. Uh, all right. These verses will also be helpful to you as you tell other people how to be saved. Jesus is the risen Lord. The most spectacular event evidence of Jesus' deity was his bodily resurrection from the dead. This is an amazing thing. Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. Somebody want to read that quickly for us? Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 7. 1 through 7. That never gets old. He rose from the dead. Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, for he is he is risen. He didn't stay in the grave. That tells us that Jesus was God. Amen. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is, as one man put it, the crowning proof of Christianity. Jesus did not rise from the dead secretly. In the Bible, there are over ten different recorded appearances of Christ after He rose from the dead. Acts chapter number 1, verse number 3. Somebody got that one? 
He showed himself multiple times by many infallible proofs. In other words, they were not able to be disputed. And he shows himself multiple times. One of these was to a gathering of over 500 people who testified as eyewitnesses to his, account, to his resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 6. Miss Joanne? At the time of the writing of the book of Acts, you could have gone and talked to somebody who saw the risen Christ. There were some still alive at that time. What an amazing thought. Wouldn't that have been fun to live then? All right. So, uh, Jesus has not only died, but he rose from the grave with a glorified body. He has forever conquered death so that we have trusted, who have trusted him as our Savior can know with certainty that we will live in heaven forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 8. Yes, ma'am, go ahead. Amen. We have a confidence that when we're absent from the body, we'll be present with the Lord. What does the resurrection of Christ mean in our lives on a daily basis? It means that Christ has promised us that he will build his church. At the beginning of this lesson, we saw Peter's declaration that Jesus is, in fact, God. It is on this truth that Jesus said that he would build his church. Not Peter, but the truth that Jesus was God. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. We will come back to this uh, in lesson number 9, but for now notice that Jesus purchased the church when he died on the cross because of his resurrection. He is the head of the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 18. Brother Larry? Amen. All right. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Colossians 1, 8. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Well, I wish we could have time to develop that one. Jesus should be Lord of our lives. You can take time to read through the last little bit here of the lesson. We'll just go ahead and give you the blanks. When you trusted Jesus as Savior, you believed that you were a sinner in need of a Savior, and your good works were not enough to get you to heaven, but that Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sins. All right, and you've got several references to look up here. The Bible tells us that obedience to the Word of God is the characteristics of a true believer in Jesus. If we love the Lord, we will gladly obey Him. We're not simply to study God's Word for information, but also for application. Not just for information, but also for application. I think this is something that's lost in the day and age that we live. A lot of people study Scripture so they can be knowledgeable of Scripture. Let's put it into practice in our lives. If the Bible says it, let's do it. If it says don't do it, don't do it. Alright? Uh, reject any teacher who denies or questions Christ's deity. If somebody knocks on your door and questions the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, reject him. You can sit there and give him verses and talk to him about that, but you do not bring him in. You, you don't say, hey, I'll, you know, let's go be best buddies. We're going to go fishing this Saturday. You, you can share the gospel with them. But the Bible speaks of not even bidding them Godspeed when they leave. Uh, often after someone uh, becomes a Christian, those around the person seeking his new spiritual interest will try to draw him into their religious teachings. The Bible tells us that there are false religions 
that are actually of Satan and that any religion that does not teach that Jesus is God in the flesh is not of God. For uh, further study, you can read those references that are there. Look for opportunities to tell others. Look for opportunities to tell others about who Jesus is and how they can be saved. All right? And then pray about the burdens and temptations you are facing and remember that He is with you. He is with you. So three points of application there that will be a help to us going forward. All right, our memory verse is 1 John chapter 4, verse number 3. You can write that in the space this week and work on that. And then hopefully you'll do your assignments throughout the week. And um, I hope those will be a help to you. I, was, uh, I don't write those assignments in, but I go over them. And uh, both lessons, the assignments each day, have been so helpful in reinforcing the lesson that we just taught. And uh, I hope that you're doing those, and it'll be help to you. All right, let's stand together. We're not going to have an invitation tonight, but we will be dismissed in prayer. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Do, okay, I knew she had a procedure today, and I had not heard how the outcome was. Is she? Okay. Yeah, I'm sure she is. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And then I have a friend, Gary Sisson, over in Indiana, who just got out of the hospital today, but uh, had an issue that was somewhat life-threatening, and they're not sure that they've got everything fixed, and he could have a relapse. So if you can keep Gary Sisson in prayer as well. All right, let's pray, and we'll be dis- let's stand together. We'll be uh, dismissed in prayer. Father, we're so thankful.